morning. It is so good to have you here. Uh, it's been so unpredictable in these, uh, in these COVID days, but it is so, I'm so excited always to see folks in worship. Thank you for being here. Um, got some really good news. As you are aware, if you've been around our church, uh, Reverend Chiv Inn is a part of our staff. And Chiv not only is an associate here, but also is the pastor at the Carrollton Cambodian Church. And then he has started nine churches in Cambodia, over 1,500 baptisms there in Cambodia. And Chiv's been over in Cambodia for the last two and a half months, and he's back. Chiv, we love you. And we have missed you. Thank you for being here. Just want to make sure everyone knew that Chiv was here, and we're going to get a chance uh, to hear about some of the great things that God did in these last two and a half months when he was in Cambodia. Um, we've been looking at imagine a better way to live. We've looked at stillness. We've looked at what it means to have a, a positive outlook to change our the direction of, of which way we face. Today we're going to look at... Um, Embracing the sacred. For one of the recordings that play, at least in my mind, I don't know about you, is that I need to get more done, therefore I need more time. If I just had another day or whatever, have any of you ever said that? Am I just the only one? That feels, that feels rushed and, and, and just out of sorts with not enough time. There are, it's really interesting, and you can look this up online. There are several studies that are out there about how Americans spend their time. <clears throat> Particularly during the COVID days, there's some interest because time is money. If you can determine how people spend their time, you can take advantage of that <coughs> by finding things, more things for us to do that cost money. Isn't that interesting? Does that surprise anybody? No. Uh-uh. Well, here's the deal. The average American sleeps eight hours and 36 minutes a day. Now, I want to know who this average American is because I don't get that much time to sleep. Yes. There must be some people sleeping 12, 14 hours a day. Okay. The average American works eight hours and 30 minutes a day. That's the average on a seven-day basis. That means that for those who, I mean, that means that we're averaging in a couple of days off. That's, that's huge. And, th and that makes up the majority of the time that Americans spend, 17 hours and six minutes a day. The rest of the time is spent, no surprise, watching TV and movies, an hour and 45 minutes a day. Traveling or commuting, an hour and 12 minutes. Eating, an hour and seven minutes. I'm probably a little on the high side on that one. <laughs> Personal care and dressing, 47 minutes. Leisure, including reading books and the Internet, mostly the Internet. And this one seems low to me. 44 minutes. Socializing, 43 minutes. That leaves an hour and 57 minutes. And you've got 16 minutes on the average of relaxing. That's not a good thing. 
16 minutes relaxing? No wonder people are crazy. <laughs> 27 minutes taking care of family, that can't be right. That's not right. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sarah, I, I got you. All right, 23 minutes shopping, primarily online. 10 minutes taking care of friends and non-family. 15 minutes on non-work or family-related cell phone calls. That seems low to me. 20 minutes playing sports and games. And this is an average. You know, it doesn't mean somebody spends 10, 20 minutes a day. It's when you average it out. Six minutes going to the doctor, to hair care, dentist. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, looking at this, no wonder people are stressed. No wonder people are stressed. Did you hear what was absent? The sacred. And in, in some of the other studies, there, it, it is included, but it is a really low number. It's a really low number. It's like less than five minutes. More like a minute, I think one of, most of them run about a minute, minute and a half, that even mention it. Now, I just kind of want to play a game here for a second. Let's pretend that we can somewhere find 15 minutes. For those of you who are sleeping eight hours and whatever a, a night. Anyway, um, let's say we can, we can save somewhere 15 minutes. And <clears throat> not taking away from work and from sleep. Do you know how many weeks that creates in a... That, for, for a person, two weeks. Two weeks. 15 minutes a day. Two weeks a year. I mean, what can we do with two weeks? Anybody got any ideas? You know what we would do? We would fill it with more stuff so that we'd still be in a hurry. You would sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, I got you there. Um, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. Not one minute is counted for the sacred. You know, as we imagine a better way to live, we don't need more time. We need a better path. So as we look at the passage from Matthew today, Let's see how Jesus operated and maybe learn from Jesus the importance of embracing the sacred. For what would our lives look like if we started our day even with just a few minutes? Even with just a few minutes with our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of our mouth, my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer, may these words be your words. For all that I don't speak, O oh God, fill in the gaps. For all that I misspeak, O oh God, may you correct it in our hearing. And I ask today, O oh God, that you would hide me behind the cross and that I too would hear your word. Inspire us, O oh God, and use us for your holy work. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Cindy read the passage from Matthew 14. And you probably, what stands out to most people about that passage is Peter walking on water. 
But there's a couple of other things that I want us to notice today. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on three that in addition to Peter walking on water. First is Jesus seeking the sacred presence of the Father. Second is that Jesus was not in a hurry. And I'll show you where that is. And three, he had a concern and a love for his disciples. <clears throat> Jesus was always about the business of being in the presence of the Father. And, and this passage begins with him sending his disciples on to the other side of the, of the lake on a boat so that he could go to be by himself to pray. Uh, now, there must have been some kind of understanding that he was going to walk around the lake. We don't know how Jesus was going to get to join his disciples because Matthew is most concerned with telling us of the sacred concern of Jesus. And if we take a look at the way that this unfolds, Jesus sends them away in the evening, and then it is the fourth hour that he begins to search for the disciples. The fourth hour is like 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. Jesus prayed for at least 12 hours. And as we review the Gospels as a whole, Jesus is praying before all the important events. He's praying after them. It is Jesus who, <laughs> who spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness in prayer. You know, we start out and struggle with just three to five minutes a day. Jesus had large portions of his life and his day that he would dedicate to this solitude of seeking the divine presence of the Father. Matthew is also careful as we look at the other parts of the gospel to let us know that especially in times of stress and challenge, Jesus seeks the solitude of prayer and meditation. And Jesus refuses to let the pressures of this world take control of his soul. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, put it th this way, <laughs> which is a little different. He said in one place in his uh, letters, he says, I have much to do today, therefore I must pray an extra hour before I begin. What? How did he do that? But John Wesley had learned with his own sacred pattern that when the more he prayed, the more directed his life, the less he wasted, the more he got done. It doesn't make sense to me, and I'm sure it doesn't make sense to any of us, except that it works. It works. Jesus shows us that the significance of living and living in the Spirit gives us the ability to face every situation. Solitude and prayer 
is the first place we go, not the last when all else fails. Second, Jesus did not hurry to the disciples. Uh, there he sa- it says, Matthew tells us, uh, by this time the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them, and early in the morning Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. Now, I got to tell you, if I've been battered in a storm in one of those little bitty boats, and if you've ever seen those at a museum or anything, I mean, they're, no, they're not that much bigger than a canoe uh, for 12 hours, and Jesus is just walking? But when we look at the Gospels, Jesus never hurries. He walks everywhere, Okay? He never gets in a hurry because it was more about the path than the rush. Jesus never hurried because he did not have to hurry. For he was consumed with a divine purpose and divine direction. We think we need to rush. Jesus didn't rush. He was directed. And and hurry bleeds over to other areas of our lives. Hurry narrows, narrows our vision and our perspective. We miss things. People become things to navigate. Places become you know, something to to work our way around. Uh, We lose our spiritual sight. And without sight, we only notice the obvious, expected, and the essentials. And we miss the blessings, the divine opportunities, and the subtle direction of the Almighty. And so we have to rush to make up what we have missed. Yeah, I, I've been doing this little research, and I've been actually doing it for a little while because, um, I, I, you know, I just rush all the time. I mean, the staff will tell you, I, I'm just, I'm going, right? And so you have Google Maps. I live on Google, Google Maps. Okay, well, what I've been doing is this. Even when I know how to get someplace, particularly if it's more than 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes or even an hour away, I'll put it in my Google Maps because it gives you the destination time and how long it's going to take, okay? And if I've got plenty of time, I'll take my time, okay? And if I'm maybe a little bit behind, I'll try to just go as fast as I can, pressing the speed limit. I'm not going to tell you I go over it. And, and I'm not going to tell you that any of those red, yellow, red, yellow lights weren't red. Anyway, you, you know what I mean. What I have found is when I rush, I can save maybe a minute and a half. It's maddening. In fact, <laughs> the other day, it's a couple of weeks ago, I was going to an SMU game, and I put it in there. It says I'm going to be there. And, and when it came up, I'm going to be late to the game. So I think, I got to go. So, man, I was, I, 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 I ran a couple of red lights. Okay. I was two minutes later than what Google told me I was going to be. 
I was so upset. I think, what is wrong with Google? What's wrong with me? Does our hurry really make a difference? Because rushing only takes a toll on my soul. The third thing in this passage that we see is that Jesus loved the disciples. Now, at first look, we think, what's going on here? He stayed, you know, he was there 12 hours in prayer, you know, and then he walks, and actually the word there that's, that's, that's the Greek word, it, it's not that he walked, but it has a preface on it that actually means a little bit of wander, a little bit of, you know, maybe walking in circles. Jesus kind of took his time. He strolled across the water, which is kind of interesting. What, what's Matthew trying to tell us about Jesus here, because what we know from the Gospels is that Jesus loved his disciples. He died for the disciples. He comes to us. Jesus may not be in a hurry, but he is always right on time. Christ's presence is our assurance. And what's interesting in this passage is not comprehending the reality of Jesus' presence in their distress. The disciples think that he is a ghost. Now, think about it for a moment. As, as Matthew is telling the story, and we can go back a couple of chapters, really to chapter 11 or 12, and what we see there is the disciples have witnessed healings. They've witnessed powerful teaching. They've witnessed him confronting the Pharisees and putting them, you know, really facing tremendous challenges. And then in, in this particular person, right before Matthew tells us the story, feeds 5,000. Jesus comes walking around across the water, and they don't know who he is. What is wrong with these men? Maybe it's because they're men. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I wonder how many times that Jesus has been right in front of us and we didn't recognize him. Maybe Matthew is trying to tell us something about ourselves and the chaotic lives that we live. I think the disciples, and I know I have this, on a, well, no, I have it. They have SAD, S-A-D, spiritual attention deficit. And so Jesus reminds them of who he is and what he can do. He says, it is I. And it's Peter who's, you know, Peter, bless his heart, it's, it's like a test. You know, if it's really you, bid me to come across the water, and, and I'll walk to you. And so Jesus says, come. So G Peter climbs over the side of the boat. He takes a few steps, and he starts to sink, and Jesus has to save him. You know the story. That's a story we've heard. If we've been in Sunday school, if not 
tens, hundreds of times. One of our favorite stories. But what happened with Peter? The chaos consumed him. Life became a distraction. And once he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink, metaphorically speaking, into the chaos, into the storm. It was by faith <clears throat> that Peter walked on the rough seas. It was because he failed to keep his eyes on Jesus that he sank. You know, there's millions of reasons why we feel trapped by demands. And, and, and we've all been there. It, <clears throat> I found in my life this kind of this up and down kind of season of, of tremendous focus and then losing focus and getting all rushed and out of sorts. It happens slowly, and then one day I wake up, and, and, it, and life is a race. Have you, have you been there? I mean, can you, can you feel it? Life just becomes a race. There seems no way out. The walls come closing in. And when this happens, for the most part, it is an unreflective, self-centered life. There are hundreds of reasons why we complain about the craziness of this life. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And, and, and I, I'm not pretending to know the, the stresses and, and, and the issues that, in, I mean, everybody's situation is different. I'm not pretending to try to tell a single parent who's trying to raise kids and keep a job and do all the things that are necessary in, in today's culture, how to keep things together. All I'm saying is, is that when we begin the process of focusing and depending on the sacred, life is different. So what if we follow Jesus' pattern in this passage? What if we were to begin each day in prayer to expect the divine intervention of our Lord when things are tough? What if we were to live life with the expectation that as we focus upon Jesus that he can lift us above the chaotic waters of this world. He's waiting to hear us call his voice. In my best moments, those have been the best days of my life. In my worst, it's when I look somewhere else. David writes a psalm, Cindy read it for you, Psalm 139. And I suggested earlier that just take a couple of minutes, start with a couple of minutes at the beginning of the day to say, just 
to pray, Lord, here I am. Lord, bless my steps. Help me to slow down, especially when it doesn't really matter. Help me to hear your voice, to see what you put in front of me, to follow you with the steps I take. But what if we also ended our days with the word? And, and I just simply suggest in ending the day with Psalm 139 and try it, just try it for a couple of weeks. I mean, put, put that morning five minutes on your calendar to remind you. And even put the, to read the psalm. It doesn't take that long. What would it look like to end your day so that as you go to sleep, these are the last words that your mind will hear. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. And by the way, Hebrew there is that God's not just acquainted, but knows us better than we know ourselves. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. We can't get away from God. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the light is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts or made all of me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. What if? What if? We embrace the sacred.